Hybrid Pub Scale Podcast with me, Emily Einelander. And me, Corinne Kalaski. Hello. We're mapping the frontier between traditional and indie publishing, and today's guest is Katie Fairchild. Katie Fairchild, she, hers, is a digital marketing professional, fandom aficionado, and lifelong book person. After graduating from Portland State University's publishing program in 2018, she moved to New York to further her publishing career. She is currently a marketing associate at the digital publishing startup Radish Fiction, where she specializes in the strange and steamy world of romance marketing. When not working, Katie can be found experimenting in the kitchen, harassing her cat, or curled up with a good video game. Welcome, Katie. Welcome, Katie. <laughs> Thanks. Um, hi, everyone. I'm so excited to be here. Um, we've been doing a little bit of, done a couple episodes on fandom stuff, fan fiction, um, and hopefully our listeners are more familiar with the vocabulary by now. So that being said, um, our icebreaker is what are your, uh, what are some of your favorite ships? Oh, geez. Um, I'm going to come right off the bat and expose myself. So my, uh, probably the only canon ship on this list is going to be Waverly and Nicole from, or Way Hot from Winona Earp. Um, from the turf fandom that must be named, it's very big into the Ginny Luna scene for a while. Um, Becca and Chloe from Pitch Perfect. Um, and then the big one for me, all-time big, is uh, Rachel and Quinn from Glee. That was, like, the big ship that defined my, like, later teens and into, like, my college years a little bit. Sounds like you love enemies to lovers a little bit. <laughs> maybe just a little bit. Maybe, <laughs> maybe just a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I feel like if you don't like enemies to lovers, then you're lying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, uh, so tell us a little bit about your role at Radish, um, and also, do you know why it's called Radish? Yeah, absolutely. That I'll start with that last part. I'm pretty sure it's called Radish because the company is um, South Korean originally. Our CEO is, uh, is South Korean, and uh, radishes are just heavily present in Korean food. So I'm pretty sure that's where he got the name from. Um, when I've pressed and tried to research, that's as far as I've gone. It's like, we like radishes. We actually had a little ra radish mascot for a bit. And then they were like, this is not working. This is not selling our steamy romance. <laughs> <laughs> I like radishes. <laughs> yeah. No, they're good. It's nice to get a little, little radish on the side. Um, and then as far as like what I actually do at work, um, I'm on a marketing team of three. Uh, I mostly work in, on the organic social media for the app. Um, the section of marketing that I'm in technically is live ops marketing, which is like anything when you open the app that you see like collection stories, whatever you're looking at there, that's live operations. So that's the like branch I'm in. Um, like I said, I mostly work on uh, social media, but I have my fingers in other pots as well. So like email marketing and push marketing, lots of digital stuff. Um, I see a lot of projects through their full life cycle from ideation to um, requesting the designs, writing the copy, scheduling it, and then reporting on the campaign. Um, I'm working a lot on events in the app for readers, a new front list promotion, and then a handful of writer promotions as well. So that's most of what I'm doing. Dang. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say. Sure that. is. <laughs> Damn. Um, so what makes Radish different from other platforms? Yeah, absolutely. So I think... First and foremost, um, 
you have to apply to get into Radish as a writer. I don't think a lot of our competitors have that barrier for entry when you're looking at like Wattpad, uh, Galatea, Dreamy. Those are like the other like serialization apps that I can, that we compete against. I think most of them, you can just like put your stuff up. So there's a barrier of entry there at Radish. Um, I think one of the big ones that we're gonna touch on is serialization. So in addition to just having like, here's my book that we're putting up, um, we will uh, both like court authors to serialize their stories or um, we'll produce uh, serialized stories in-house as well. Um, that kind of leads to the next thing that sets us apart. So in addition to being a marketplace for self-published and hybrid authors, we also create our own stuff in-house. We have a full writing staff headed by our CTO who has at least one daytime Emmy. Um, so lots of like in-house stuff is going on, which I don't think is happening in the other uh, the other apps. Um, we, court, we court our authors to come to Radish, but I think a lot of our competitors do that too. But that's lots of like, we'll give you X amount of money if you pull your stuff from Wattpad for three months and put it on Radish. And then um, since we don't monetize, we don't do fanfic, um, unfortunately to my heart, but it makes sense. Um, I think, some of our competitors do do this, uh, but they'll have the content up for free. Wattpad might've had a crackdown recently, but I know a little less about that. Um, now, all that said, you can get away with filing off the serials. So can you give us a quick like uh, reminder of what that means? Yeah, for sure. Uh, filing off the serials basically means um, you have a fan fiction written. Um, let's let's say here's my here's my favorite fic here's Rachel and Quinn um, and I really like the story here and I don't want it to be related to Glee at all anymore I just want like my Rachel Quinn love story to be published anywhere else I'm gonna change just enough of that so it can't be linked to the original fandom anymore normally that is obviously changing the names of the characters uh, but maybe changing a few identifying uh, characteristics and location as well and removing any reference to the original fandom. So if you did not know it was coming from the original fandom, then you have a complete new work. Um, obviously 50 Shades of Grey is a good example of this, but we have, there's a ton of stuff like that on Radish as well, where you can, I can kind of clock something. And I'm like, I know you started as a Harry Styles fanfic. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lots of stuff like that. And then I think the last thing that sets Radish apart that I don't know any of our other competitors do, is in addition to comments, we also have something called Radish Live, where um, two hours after the most recent chapter or episode, if anything is published, uh, if you've paid to get into that most recent chapter, you can join a live, live chat to talk about it with other readers and potentially the author as well. I love that. That's so exciting. <laughs> All right, so do you work with individual authors as you market the material or are you focused more on higher level marketing work? Yeah, um, so it can kind of depend. Um, often we're working as a team on a campaign for a new release or a serialization and I'll have some contact with the author throughout that. So I have a campaign that I run monthly uh, to feature like a spotlighted um, author of like whatever Zodiac sign it is of the month. And there'll be some communication, like they apply for promotion and then I'll reach out and be like, hey, like want to get like your bio and like whatever author photo you're using right now. And like, it's going to be posted on this day or whatever, um, things like that. Um, I also have a campaign I run somewhat frequently for like bigger titles called Dreamcasting, where we'll be like, hey, author, like I like 
who would you cast of like movie stars, TV stars, basically anyone with an IMDb credit and like high quality photo shoots online? Like, who do you want to be cast? Um, I'll get their opinions. Maybe I'll pull some of my own and then we'll put it up on Instagram stories for the Radish followers to vote on and then be like, this is how I would cast like my werewolf billionaire romance, for example. Um, yeah, and I guess I do enjoy working with the authors, but I suspect the way in which I do so is super different from what happens in a traditional publishing format. Can you vouch for that, Corinne? Yes, I was going to say it sounds completely <laughs> different. Yeah. Would you have any interest in working like for a traditional publisher in a marketing capacity at some point? Absolutely. Yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Actually, um, I think I uh, traditional publishing has always kind of been the end goal for me, like in my move to New York. Um, I'm really excited to be where I am right now, but I would love to eventually maybe dip my toes into something that like I could show my mom that I'm working on instead of what I'm doing right now. (laughs) (laughs) What you you don't just say, don't read this chapter or this chapter. Mom, uh, heed the content my... warnings. <laughs> Mom, this chapter has chili peppers at, at the end of the chapter title, and I need you to skip that one. <laughs> oh, is that how you do it? Sometimes we do do that. I don't think we do it as much anymore, but in the early days of Radish, we would do like, okay, like there's, it's chapter seven, pepper, pepper, pepper. Oh, and that's wow. kind of like our spice rating is like, how spicy do you read? And then we'll do like, a different amount of chili peppers and obviously like the five chili peppers are always the ones that get clipped I used to like I've been writing in a fandom that has a lot of ace people in it and so you have to be really really careful with the with the content warnings <laughs> but it's, it's just it's funny though because people who come in expecting a lot of sex get just as angry <laughs> if it's not there yes. <laughs> you have to be really careful about marking things directly yes. what fandom is that I'm just curious uh the Magnus archives oh podcast I've been meaning to get into and have not yet I am um, well it gave me brain worms so here we are <laughs> <laughs> so be careful with that um so what are similarities between the authors that get the most engagement on the app and uh or what genres or subgenres do you see getting the most attention yeah absolutely um so as I kind of just mentioned anything high heat does really well the spicier it is the better it is we do have a non-mature option, um, but you will find a more fulfilling radish experience from the mature options, I feel. Um, In what way? In (laughs) what way is it more fulfilling? (laughs) We just don't, oh man, we, I could put a little pun in right here. Um, (laughs) No, there's just not as much, like, we have, we do have non-mature stories. We have like a few of our originals even that will have like a fade to black instead of like, here's your scene. Um, but with like a handful of exceptions, most of that stuff just doesn't sell um, and sex does sell. Um, so the more we can say like, we can dangle that in front of them, our readers and say like, hey, there's gonna be a lot of sex in this book. They're like, yes, sign me up. <laughs> um yeah oh and authors as well yeah absolutely um so wait sorry the 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 types of authors yeah so I guess 
the authors that are really savvy about the, the radish format, I think are the ones that do really well. Um, anyone who's doing enough to keep you going from chapter to chapter, like an episode, episode to episode of a TV show more than chapter to chapter of a book. Um, if you can have a little arc through whatever you've uploaded for serialization or even within a chapter itself, um, something that's gonna push someone through and leave them like satisfied, but with some questions going to the next chapter. Um, that normally does really well. I know that's kind of strange to think about um, when we're thinking about like a book as a whole product, um, but yeah, anything that you're, you're fighting for your readers um, coin, literally if to keep them invested and to continue the book, um, anything that's hooking from chapter to chapter does really well. Um, and then you did, you said subgenres. Um, so <laughs> this is what I've seen uh, right now. Uh, age gap is doing really well right now, especially anything with a single dad. Um, so lots of like the daddy word in all of my work calls. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but and then anything that's like taboo or forbidden in some way. Um, I'm not sure if you want to include this part, but weirdly the concept of like selling oneself is always really popular. Ooh. So like I sold my virginity to the alpha and now I'm in a love triangle with him and his brother. Um, or like, I need money to pay for like my student loans. So I'm going to be a surrogate for this hot billionaire who just wants to have a baby by himself. And oops, we're in love. Um, fall in love. Exactly. <laughs> you can have it all. You can have the money and the man. Um, wow. Way to call it out. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> you're hundred percent correct. <laughs> yes, I am. I'm definitely not the demographic of our readers, but I, I understand what they want at least. So that, that's something I have going for me. I mean, that's pretty vital. Yes. Yes. Okay. So just like on other self-publishing platforms, there's an onus on the author to do a lot of their own promotion. Are there ways unique to the app that authors can promote themselves? Yeah. Um, so again, we have a pretty small team at Radish. Um, in our U.S. office, but we do have a writer success associate whose job is dedicated just to supporting authors and more specific, the user-generated um, content authors. So the ones that we have not like courted, those who have just applied and gotten in. There's a resource for writers called Writers Web where we will keep them abreast of promotional opportunities. And we use these forms quite heavily in the marketing department. Um, so trying to keep a balance between like the stories we're promoting because we have contractual obligations and then the stories we'd like to promote because we want the authors to be seen um, and also the stories that, that we believe in that may not be ones that we are like obligated to promote. Um, one promotion that I'm pretty excited that I started is called Writer Crush Wednesday. Um, so on alternating Wednesdays, uh, for like a span of time, uh, authors can like tweet at us or tag us in an Instagram post and I'll just like, I'll reshare it. And then they'll get their own like writer crush shelf on in a prominent spot on the app. Um, so that's one. Well, on the other hand, it, there seems like there's some creative ways to get people hooked on fiction on Radish. So maybe they'll pay for it. Um, so is that up to the authors themselves um, or is some of that prescribed by you? And um, also just kind of how does it work? 
I guess we have three main uh, payment types. So we'll have freemium, which is like everyone is on the same waiting schedule. Um, you know, in like like every week on a specific day, an episode will unlock, um, or you can pay to get through it all to the end. Uh, what is much more common we'll find is a premium model where you have a certain amount free and the rest of them are completely locked and you have to pay for them or uh, wait to unlock, which is what most of our content is on, like the, the originals and the flappy titles. Um, and that is like, you read until you can't anymore. And then it's like, you have to wait an hour or you can pay coins now. So we, with those different payment types, then um, I think our team will push certain things at certain times based on findings from our data team. So we might send an announcement to writers um, with charts and things like that saying like, here's how much more money you can make on wait to unlock versus premium or like here's the optimum amount of waiting time for you to get the most bang for your buck um again for the stuff that we put out it's pretty standard across the board we're playing with it right now actually uh for longer stories versus shorter stories so we're finding like if the story is shorter a longer wait wait time might be more profitable because people are willing to wait and not spend um, but if it's a longer story, then keeping the wait time short is a good way to get people hooked. Um, so we have mostly one hour wait times for all of our stuff. Um, I will say here, several very smart authors um, who are UGC will do something like make their, their first book entirely free and then lock up the enti entire second book. So people will get really hooked in. Um, there's like one or two stories on our platform that I'm like, wow, I really see them pop up because of that. And of course that ultimately is like smart uh, author brain, but also good writing quality. That seems like uh, it works on a lot of different platforms mm -hmm. to give that first one away free. Mm, it sure yeah, is. if you're doing a good job. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, dive a little bit more into the fan side of things. So I know for a fact, because we went to the same master's program, that you did your thesis on a fanish topic. Um, so can you give us a high-level description of what you wrote about? So in my thesis, I explored a, a fan adaptation um, from fan work to publication, as well as uh, ways that publishers have recently utilized fandom uh, as a marketing tool. And then I also uh, did a synthesis of successful and interesting marketing campaigns um, involving fandom. Um, I did a bit of theorization, again, of filing off the serials, which is happening more and more these days, as well as how publishers could leverage um, comp fandoms for upcoming books, especially through grassroots campaigns and grassroots influencers. All right, so how do you connect your own experience with writing and reading fan fiction with the work you do in publishing and in your current positions? Yeah, so I feel like uh, reading and writing fan fiction and being involved in fan spaces in general has really helped me figure out how to market to folks who are in fanish spaces using the language that they're familiar with. Um, I find that to be really helpful, especially um, finding what sorts of content they might be engaging in and trying to ape that um, from a company perspective without being too like silence brandy about it. Um, ironically, sometimes I do have to pull back um, on the marketing lingo I'm using because the Radish primary audience is a little bit older and might be a little less fandom lingo savvy. Um, 
but for some of the younger stuff still it's really nice to be able to use that and be like okay if I was in this fandom right now what would I be engaging in and then more specifically like looking into the comments the live chats um general reception to those books and seeing like what are they interested in and how can I surface more more of that to them it's always fun to see like what characters like what side characters people connect to the most at least when I'm writing that's always the thing that surprises me I'm like really that one okay <laughs> like who do they love the most yeah it'll be really yes they'll be like wow we really love like this side character in the werewolf book that has nothing to do with like the main stakes of the plot I'm like I'm glad and then the nice thing with some of that too is that um if it is one that we're creating in-house, um, sometimes that gets, that character gets elevated awesome. status. <laughs> or or its own spin-off sometimes, or? Yeah, actually we did have, again, I keep talking about this werewolf book because this is kind of like the biggest fandom I can think of. We do have a few books that are better selling, but people just love, it's really like, what if we took Twilight and we really like marketed it to the audience audience that was consuming Twilight um I mean there's so an entire team heroes. for the werewolf right like there's they have a whole team yes there's <laughs> yeah we actually do have like uh there's like there's team Xavier there's team Grayson um there are radish teams that are focusing on them as well um again they are brothers and so I know all sorts of like okay this is what team X is into this is what team G is into they have different kind of uh, clusters of personalities that you can kind of pick out within the fandom. Um, it's really funny. Um, and it does make it really fun to kind of do, don't want to do too much of that because I don't want to cause a fight. You don't want to get a ship war going. <laughs> no. Sometimes they freak out on completely random posts and I'm like, I'm glad you're passionate. <laughs> Go um, back to AO3. <laughs> Take it to Twitter. <laughs> I have not infiltrated these spaces because I feel like they deserve to have some sort of privacy. But for a while, we had like an official Facebook group for the fandom. And I know they have their own Facebook groups and Discord servers for this fandom and for their sub fandoms. And they do write fan fiction. Um, and we're at the point where it's like, I don't think much like an author or a TV show creator can't read fan fiction and be, lest they be accused of like stealing the ideas. We're like, we cannot read your fan fiction but the fan fiction of Torn Between Alphas is being created. So I love that for them. <laughs> I'm going to definitely find it. Um, <laughs> I occasionally, um, my partner and I will just be like, let's see if this exists. And then one day we did that with Snap, Crackle, and Pop. Oh, no. There's Snap, Crackle, and Pop smut on oh my god wow <laughs> it's terrible <laughs> I mean it's funny but it's like why <laughs> um so there have been several famous authors um and authors at all levels who either started out writing fan fiction or continue to write fan fiction either as just for fun or I don't know what I, I don't know everybody's reasons yet but so who are some of the ones who might surprise people and do you have any examples of how doing so have supported their traditional careers for sure 
So there are the obvious ones, of course, where like the fandom is really um, integral to the story or like it's very clear that they filed off the serials. The big one is E.L. James and Fifty Shades of Grey. We all know that one. I think everyone knows about Anna Todd's after series as well. Um, Spreading from that like bad boy Harry Styles concept. No, you didn't know that? I might be too Um, old. I might be too old. (laughs) No, that's okay. Yeah. Um, Most of the stuff on on a list that I've prepared is like it's Twilight fandom, it's Harry Styles fandom, or it's um, like a handful of Harry Potter. Um, But yeah, no, that's what the big thing claimed to fame for the after series that it was originally one very long fan fiction. And I think it was Simon and Schuster who was like, we got to have that. Let's just change his name from Harry to Holden and like everything else but it's kind of the sub fandom where it's not actually based off of the real person harry styles it's like the caricature of like a man who looks like harry styles but is extremely mean and rude um and hot still so this is a whole whole subgenre of fan fiction and some of it has been published as well but the after series is the big one um to come from the harry potter situation and really like if uh, Fifty Shades of Grey kind of like opened the gates, I think after blazed the trail, like it's like the first one shooting out, and then everyone else is like, "Cool." And is Harry Styles not Harry Potter? I'm, I, I Harry thought Styles. I, heard, I thought is I heard Harry, Harry Potter, Potter in there. <laughs> yeah, no, but no. It, you know, it's entirely plausible that there's like overlap there. So who knows? <laughs> there could be that too. Um, because my next thing is like Rainbow Rowell's whole thing, right? Makes it very clear. Um, that she was in the Harry Potter fandom. Um, But all this to say for all of this existing stuff, um, it's very easy to leverage fandom and common understandings of that thing to get get readers and to expand your fan base. Um, I think a few others that might be interesting through here, you guys familiar with the Cassandra Clare fandom debacle? Yes. No, not debacle. I just know it Um, exists. So... (laughs) Oh yes, uh, she she's a big one that came out of early uh, Harry Potter fandom. Her and Holly Black were fandom buddies, um, and I feel like if you know what Cassandra Clare has done in terms of plagiarism and whatnot oh. within her, yes, um, within her fanfic, then it makes it kind of difficult to buy into her whole shtick right now. Um, that so I have some complicated Cassandra Clare feelings, but she's another one um, who did that. Despite her fandom debacle, she has um, successfully kind of leveraged her, like positioned herself in the YA market, mm-hmm. um, especially to people who maybe were not of age when the fandom debacle was happening in the early aughts in the who first just, place. Like, didn't notice. Yeah, or like truly don't know until someone like every like once every five years someone on the internet is like hey here's a list of Cassandra Clare's fandom crimes and then it gets a few more people in there but at this point there's probably people who grew up with um the mortal instruments like are so set into that then they have no concept of xyz plagiarism scandal there's a whole Um, conversation there about how like people take ownership over fandoms away from problematic authors but I don't think that's what this conversation is about right now it's not. I could have that conversation, but it's not. It's not what we're doing right now. We'll be here for another like two hours. So. Yes. Um, I think then a few others that are interesting. Um, 
it happens a lot in romance, right? So uh, Christina Lauren, the romance writing duo, um, also started in Twilight fandom. I think actually one of their series, uh, Beautiful Bastard, is a Twilight adaptation. Um, let's see, Seanan McGuire is one where I'm actually not positive what fandom she was in, but I think you can tell from the way she does character, um, especially that she was very involved in fan writing. Um, and then Naomi Novik um, is the other one that I don't know if everyone would know. Um, and I, again, similarly don't know exactly what fandom she was in, but I think you can kind of tell with the way she kind of lays out her prose that she has some fan fandom roots. Can you elaborate on what the, uh, what the stylistic tells are there? Yeah, um, I'm going to be a little bit more familiar with Seanan McGuire because I've read more of her stuff, but I think uh, the pacing doesn't feel quite the right word, but like the way a fan work kind of emphasizes character and sometimes like um, inner turmoil or like inner conflict versus is like external exposition and plot like in fan works you can spend as much time with the characters you need um and it can kind of make the pacing of the book a uh, kind of strange um or different from what you might expect from someone who's not explored that space um but so to me it's very obvious when someone has spent a lot of time writing fan work and is like really more like very character driven i suppose i can see that does that kind of answer it no, it's, I, I think it does a lot. Um, yeah. Because that's that's the commonality with everyone, right? That's that's the part that everybody loves is, you know, your favorite characters in different situations. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So what are some areas of opportunity you see for authors to leverage fandom, particularly when they're using serialized fiction? Absolutely. Um, so I feel like the far and away the big one is engagement. The more you can get in there with your fandom, the better. Um, I would say don't be too parasocial about it because that is a slippery slope um, and you don't want to get in a situation where your readers feel they're influencing your story. Um, but I think having some sort of interaction through there is, is really key. Um, one of our most successful authors who has both like flat fee stories and um, her own, like she, she works in the story room for a serialization of one of hers that is run by Radish, um, but she has her own stuff up there too. And she's just very good with her community. Like she'll pop into a live chat, like maybe once a week when she has time, she'll answer questions. She's engaged on Twitter. But I think like having some sort of engagement there is really clear. Um, again, I think I touched on this earlier, but starting and ending your chapters in a way that causes discussion or even like some sort of critical thought. Um, you want a mini arc per uploading. Um, you're really fighting for your reader's brain space by asking them to return to your book over time instead of giving it to them all at once. So anything that will kind of cause fan interaction is gonna be good there. So it has a lot to do with good writing. It does. Ultimately, it does have a lot to do with good writing. Well, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> we're not gonna we're not gonna hack radish. <laughs> if you're a good writer, you can hack radish. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's 
that's the, that's the rub, isn't it? Um, yeah. Okay. So I think you mostly answered our next question about um, the ability for readers to comment on different chapters. It looks like there's more of a, of, of restrictions to that though, than there might be, you know, it's like, can people come two years later and make a comment or is it just within that window of time where the chats happen? Well, so there's both, right? So we have the live chats are like a uh, kind of a perk of being caught up on the story. I and mean, then you can get into the comments at any point in time. Okay. Uh, the comment feature hasn't been around for that long though. It actually came over. We uh, we hired a few folks on the live ops team who had experience with like forum based fan spaces. And they were like, we really want to create a space for our readers to interact that's not their grungy discord server um so <laughs> how dare you <laughs> <laughs> i love my grungy discord servers um but we just wanted a more polished space for them like removing that barrier instead of like you have to be in this live chat at exactly 1 30 p.m to have an invitation to the team grayson server mm -hmm. um so it, we added that Mm, maybe like a, a year and a half ago as a way for our community to, to interact with each other but also the author um the kind of we're still figuring out pieces of how to make this better with like we don't have a notification notification center in the app so you kind of have to rely on like are you are you checking the comments frequently um are you engaged with like this episode and then like coming back and forth to have a conversation um, but people will still have conversations through there um, and authors can come in and reply as well. And then again, those live chats are so huge for like building a fandom. Um, so yeah. That's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I think you might've answered some of this too, but let's give this a try. Um, what other features do you see in common between fan fiction sites and apps like Radish, uh, both the serialized element as well as the way readers interact with the stories? Yeah, so I think the big one here obviously is that barrier between the author and reader being severely removed. Um, so you can you don't have to go through like huge steps. You don't have to hunt down an author's social media presence or their website or whatever. You can just have a conversation with them right then and there. Um, so that is going to be, um, obviously that's something that you have on fan fiction as well. Um, I think the tagging system is a big one too. Obviously our tags are not as robust for, um, I mean, nothing beats the AO3 tags, but, um, we try, we try to get a little bit more micro with like subgenres and tagging and things like that, because I think that makes it so easy to find something um in a space that might be it's kind of difficult sometimes to find exactly what you're looking for on like kindle or kindle unlimited uh, which is not a one-for-one -one comp or like i don't know um it does kind of have that similar fanish thing where you could say like i want to mix and match like ff pairings and i want this trope i want enemies to lovers and i want it to be completed um so having the ability to to search specifically for something I think is is really nice for serial like serializing apps or like digital publishing apps and fan fiction. Yeah, and that adapts to the way people like to read too. And I mean, honestly, like a lot of this just it sounds also like television. You have someone with the daytime Emmy um, mm -hmm. because you know there are people who are like, I'm gonna wait till the show's over and then watch it 
all the way through. And then you have people who are like, no, I want to be engaged in like week after week so we can all talk about it. Um, and it sounds like the, there's the opportunity for people to find both um, in a very like intentional sort of way. Yeah, absolutely. You definitely can kind of find your best fit for how you want to read on Radish. Um, yeah. To remind, uh, to remind listeners, if you'd like an example of an author whose work you can find on Radish, uh, where we touch on what it looks like from the author's side of things, listen to our interview with Kat Jackson in episode 49. And her work can be found in serialized form on Radish. Katie, where can people find you? Oh my gosh, I love Kat Jackson. Um, yeah. People can, <laughs> yeah. To the episode. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to. I didn't know you talked to her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I think the best place for people to find me is at Katie Fairchild on Twitter. And that's not going to be my full name. That's going to be at the letter K, K, sorry, at the letter K, at the letter T, Fairchild is my handle. Um, Yeah. Perfect. And you can find us at hybridpubscout.com on Facebook and Twitter at hybridpubscout and Instagram at hybridpubscoutpod. Please leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app and a review if you're feeling generous. Thank you, Katie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was so fun. And thanks for giving a rip about books. Yeah.